You are such a rich, rich gift of grace to us. We open our hands, we open our hearts, we open our minds for you to teach us now. Praying all this in your name, amen. Okay, welcome to John 2. We're going to be looking today at how John performs his first miracle, his first sign by turning the water into wine, as you well know. And he is doing this at a wedding in Cana. If you have your listening guide, you're able to follow along. I've picked out some key verses, but I'm interested sometimes. I would love to know what the key verse, the verses that you're memorizing each week. We're going to see in this passage the doctrine of the resurrection. And you can follow along on your listening guide that Jesus Christ was crucified, buried, and raised the third day. According to the scriptures, he has proved he is the son of God. And Jesus' resurrection makes certain our resurrection to eternal life for those who have placed our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to see such fewer descriptions of Jesus, but I want to encourage you with this. Even though there may not be a certain description of Jesus, as you are studying the passage, think in terms of what does this story, what does this account tell you about Jesus? For instance, with the, uh, Mary coming to Jesus with the water, uh, and needing there to be wine, we find that Jesus was approachable. So for instance, I've written here in here on my listening guide, in addition to these descriptions of him being the son of God, him being zealous, him being the temple of God, I wrote approachable. So as you are doing your, your study, build on what you are learning, or as you're listening, use that li listening guide to jot down how the Lord is speaking to you. Let's begin by reading this passage. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there, and both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what does that have to do with us? My hour has not yet come. And his mother said to the servants, whatever he says to you, do it. Now there were six stone water pots set there for the Jewish custom of purification containing 20 or 30 gallons each. Jesus said to them, fill the water pots with water. So they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, draw some out now and take it to the head waiter. So they took it to him. When the head waiter tasted the water, which had become wine and did not know where it had come from, but the servants who had drawn the water knew, the head waiter called the bridegroom and said to him, every man serves the good wine first. And when the people have drunk freely, then he serves the poorer wine, but you have kept the good wine until now. This beginning of his signs, Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. And after this, he went down to Capernaum. He and his brothers and his mothers, <clears throat> he and his mother and his brothers and his disciples, and they stayed there a few days. I've had so much fun thinking about Jesus, leading up to this very first sign that he is the son of God. Now, if you think with me, what had been going on during those first 30 years of Jesus's life? Well, we know that he had traveled as an infant to Egypt and back to spare his life. 
We know that his mother was just filled with scripture because we heard her words of praise. We know he was raised in an incredible godly home. We know that from the ages of five to 12, young boys were taught the scriptures. We know Jesus had been to the temple already before at least one time because he had stayed there a few extra days and his mother had had to go find him and said, son, why did you do this to us? And he said, did you not know I had to be about my father's business? Already he was aware of his father's business and we see Jesus referring to his father again in the cleansing of the temple. But right here, what do we see? We see, find that some people have thought that Jesus' words to his mother when she said they have no wine, that his word, her words, or his words to her woman, what does that have to do with us, was disrespectful. But no, I find it very tender. I see him looking in his mama's eyes and everything had to, had up to that point had, had to do with them. She had carried him, the immaculate child, virgin-born child. She had no doubt had a huge part in him learning the scripture. She no doubt had raised him along with his four brothers and his sisters. He had been raised in a household with, with other children. He had seen there not only be perhaps no wine, but maybe some days not be any bread or not be any fish which were the local food items that they would have eaten at that time. For 30 years, Jesus had known who he was because he had said, I need to be about my father's business. But all of that glory, all of that glory had been contained within him. And I think right now he was about to pop. I think he was about to just pop with, with Jesus' glory manifestation all over him. But John, as he continues writing, he records Jesus' words that Jesus said he never did anything except what he saw the father doing. So now his mother is coming to him and saying, they have no wine. Psst. Now, Nazareth, where Jesus was raised in Cana, were only four miles apart. So commentators think it's very likely that Mary was an intricate part of helping with the management of this week-long wedding that was the custom for Jewish weddings during that time. Because the servants didn't question why she was telling them what to do. Jesus didn't question, why are you in charge, mom? And so Mary had a part in this. And so when she comes up to him and she says, they have no wine. It made me think about one Thanksgiving, the last Thanksgiving my mother was alive as a matter of fact, and, and Linda was there and everybody was at our house gathering to have the last Thanksgiving with mama and I was trying to do all the Thanksgiving preparations. And I remember exactly where I was at the kitchen counter and I realized we have no ice for the iced tea. I mean, I was like, we have no ice. And so I just looked at Keith and I said, we don't have any ice. Well, I didn't have to say, Keith, will you please run to the 7-Eleven? Will you please run to the store? All I had to do was tell him the situation. We don't have any ice. That's what Mary was doing here. She came to Jesus. They don't have any wine. There's no wine. And Jesus, in his response, what does that have to do with us? Mama who brought me into this world. Mama who's been teaching me the scriptures. Mama who's all of this. What does it have to do with us right now? But in incredible kindness and gentleness, he then 
turned to the servants, not because it was something that his mama wanted him to do, but now there was a transference when he said, my hour has not yet come. And he was referring to that hour, that time period that began, that ushered in the fulfillment of his death, resurrection, and ascension to the Father and the consummation, consummation of our salvation. It's such a precious thing when we read these words. We see Jesus' water being turned into wine. Several things that I'm going to give you right here. You don't need to worry because I'll be going through them each one individually. But it was a private manif first manifestation. I'm God. It was his very first sign, John said. It was private. It was not public. He had been in the synagogues. He had been in the temple teaching the Pharisees. But that's not where he chose. That's not where the father chose. It was in the kitchen, probably. They, the commentators say that's probably where they kept these water pots for purification. It was in the kitchen. It was a very private thing. And I love that about Jesus. Because you have some very private things going on in your life, don't you? They're not public. But you need Jesus. And in this, we see that all you have to do is present your need, and Jesus is there with you. And when we say he is the Son of God, that means he has the power. He has the power to do something about that. He presented, Mary presented the need to him. We see, as I've already mentioned, that this was not a spontaneous Jesus doing something outside of God's will. It was something that the Father had planned. It required participation by others. It was purposeful, it was productive, and it was prophetic. So let's start with this fact that it was private, not public. Only those who were the very, very, very closest to Jesus witnessed the miracle and saw his glory. I pray that every morning, every day, you're on your knees before the Father, or if you can't get on your knees, that you're in a quiet place giving your needs to the Father, giving them to Jesus, and then going back and recording how you see Jesus' glory being manifested and and answered in those items that you have prayed about. Not only was it private, not public, but when Jesus said they have, I mean, when Mary said they have no wine, aren't those simple words? You can say to Jesus, I have no strength. I have no money. I have no hope. I have no plan on what to do. You and I, I want to encourage you this morning. You can go to Jesus with those simple words, I have no whatever it may be. And then we see, as I mentioned, that it was the Father's will. Can you and I say that? We pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. But Mary didn't know what Jesus was going to do with, with the situation. She left it in Jesus' hands. I want to encourage you through this story, through this account, you can leave in Jesus' hands after you have presented the request, after you have presented the need. You can leave in Jesus' hands what he is going to do about it. I am sure Mary didn't know what Jesus was going to do about it. He took something common that was right there, and it may be that he takes something very common in your life that he will use. 
So it was private, not public. There was a need presented, it was planned, but this is so important. It required participation by others. And we're going to see in other places in the book of John where participation was required by other people. And friends, this is very important because you and I can pray and say, Lord, show me. But if we do not remain and listen to what he says, because that is the other side of prayer. That's the other half of prayer. And we see that Jesus said to them, fill the water pots with water. And the next words are, so they filled them. And look at how they filled them. Jesus didn't say, fill the water pots with water to the brim, did he? He said, fill the water pots. But those servants took his words and we're like, I'm not gonna do it half-hearted. I'm not gonna just barely get by. I'm not just gonna get a little bucket of water. And they had to work. They had to go get the water. And they had to carry the water. This isn't a stone water pot, but it's my visual, best I could do for right now. But they had to go back and forth. And we don't know how many servants there were. We know there was more than one. But they had to go back and forth and fill six of these water pots with 20 to 30 gallons, it required work on the part of the servants. That's sometimes where you and I are not willing to fall in line with Jesus because we oh, that's gonna be work. Oh, that's gonna take commitment. Oh, that's gonna be hard. That's gonna take time. But that's not what the servants did. Jesus calls us his servants. When he stood before Pilate and Pilate was asking him if he was a king with a kingdom and he said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would be fighting. We have the privilege to be called the servants of the living God and that word servants in that passage really means in his service. I love the idea, you do too, of being in the service of the King, Jesus. Do you like, raise your hand if you like being in the service, in his service. When we pray, we say in his name, don't we? How about we say in his service? I am in his service. And we want to be, and I want to encourage you, we can be those servants who don't do it. Oh, I've got to go to church. Here, Lord. No. We can be those who are, I'm in the service. I'm in the service of the Lord. Boom. I'm in the service of the Lord. Boom. To where it's almost sloshing over. Oh, all of our deer around our house are so thirsty. Keith brought a bucket from uh, another place and he put it over by the deer feeder. And the other night I was walking my dog, Katie, and I looked and I saw, actually I saw from the house, this owl dad, do all y'all know what owl dads look like? They have big, huge horns. And this, I saw this owl dad, and this owl dad kept walking around the water bucket like this, all the way around. Just, and I'm like, well, why didn't it just land and get some water? And then it dawned on me, it couldn't get its head down low enough with those antlers to get into the water. I spent the next hour taking little empty milk cartons 
and going from my house, I don't know how far, and putting water in there and then going back, filling it up with a hose, taking that out to add some water. I don't know how many times I did that. I really don't. It was getting dark. And I was like, is this bucket ever going to get full? I did that for an outed. <laughs> and then, of course, I stood there with my binoculars looking to see if he was going to come back. And, of course, I had scared it because he stomping back and forth for an hour. But if I did that for an outed, who I definitely don't know, <laughs> we'll probably never see again, I want to encourage you. Jesus will fill you and me up to the brim with his spirit and transform our lives just like he did that water that was filled to the brim. If I would do that for an dad, Jesus will do that for you and me, but participation was required. We have to present ourselves. We have to take time to sit before God with our mouths and our hearts open. Ah, fill me. Fill me, Lord, with your spirit. We see it was very purposeful. In this filling and transformation of this water, because these Jewish water stone pots, they were used for Jewish ritual, traditional purification. The Jewish ritual purification system was something that would never accomplish what the Lord Jesus Christ accomplished. The Jewish ritual system did not create an inner change in a person. And so we see that Jesus fulfilled and he replaced the law's burdensome requirement for purification with transformative grace and joy. He did what the law could not do. We see it was productive because the disciples saw what Jesus did and they're watching this and they were like, he is the son of God. He is the son of God. It's very important, friends, that our family, our spouse, our neighbors, our children see us being empty. It's not my nature to be kind and loving and hopeful and joy-filled and sacrificial, but for them to see the transformation Jesus brings in my life. Because when those closest to me see the transformation in me, then they have the opportunity to see and believe. Who in your sphere of influence can grow closer to the Lord Jesus because they're watching you and they see and believe that God is working in your life. And finally, we see this that this miracle was prophetic of the heavenly marriage of believers to Jesus and the heavenly wedding feast. I can just see Jesus just standing there and he's looking at the wine being served and he's looking at the joy of the bride and the groom and he's looking at all the people celebrating and he's like, yes, Father, this is the institution that we created. 
a man shall leave his father and a woman leave her father and mother and the two shall be joined and become one flesh. It was a picture of a covenant relationship. And so here we see Jesus saying, yes, the two shall become one. And it was picturing the covenant relationship that God the Father made with us. And we are the bride of Christ, scripture describes us as being. And scripture, as we see in so many passages, describes Jesus as a bridegroom. And Revelation talks about the heavenly wedding feast. You and I are going to be at a feast and the wine is going to flow. The joy is going to flow. The celebration is going to continue more than a week. Now, for those of you who are kind of sitting there and squirming and saying, I just wish this passage in here about wine wasn't there. Uh, because wine is not good. Uh, we've had, you know, people killed with wine. We've had trouble with wine, whatever. Everything God made is good. But everything that God made can also be abused. Food is good. But gluttony is recorded in the Bible as sin. Wine is a description and it is used for symbolizing the joy of that day of our full restoration in heaven. Mary being the godly woman she is, I don't think she would have said, there's no wine, like we need wine. The wine at that time was, was not the alcohol content of the wine in our day. But when we look at this subject of the wine and of the celebration, we are guided whether it's what we eat or drink or whatever we do. That's what the scripture says. Whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. This was not condoning him turning the water into wine. It was not him condoning drunkenness. It was not condoning the abuse of alcohol. Wine was a very common a beverage that was served at that time in that day. What we are warned against is drunkenness. We are warned against uh, being a stumbling block to our brother. As we look at this, we see the symbolism. So if you go back to the very first verse, it says on the third day, there was a wedding. Now that third day is there for a purpose. Third day. On the third day, the law was given to Moses. And on the third day, Jesus was raised from the tomb. We've already talked about the symbolism of marriage, the bridegroom, the wedding feast, the water pots, friends. We are, as Paul describes, earthen vessels. Earthen vessels who can contain the very glory of God. And that new wine that I was referring to is the new wine, the new covenant, and the servants I've already mentioned. We have the opportunity to be those servants. So I want to encourage you before we move on to the temple cleansing. You can tell Jesus your needs. Would you just read these out loud with me? Number two, you can do what Jesus tells you one step at a time, you can be filled to the brim with Christ's spirit and joy. You can be the carrier of transformative grace to others so they see and believe. Which of those things is a golden nugget that you want to write down that the Lord might want to encourage you 
concerning because these are all words of encouragement to us. When we go ahead and we look at John 2, 13 through 25, we see how Jesus drives the money changers out of the temple and prophesies his death and resurrection. And again, you have on your listening guides how the Passover commemorates the Lord's deliverance of the Israelites from Egyptian bondage. And this would be an annual commemoration followed by Feast of Unleavened Bread. So they were there for a week. What happened though? Verse 13, the Passover of the Jews was near and Jesus went up to Jerusalem and he found in the temple. This, this would have been the temple courts, the court of the Gentiles and the women. He found in the temple courts, those who were selling oxen and sheep and dove and the money changers seated at their tables and he made a whip of cords. So this was not an uncontrolled outburst of anger. Jesus did not have an anger problem. He made this cord. He knew what he was going to do. And I just wonder for how many years he had wanted to get a cord, all those years between the age of 12 and to 30. He had been waiting to do this. I bet you anything. He had just been waiting for when the period of that hour would begin so he could do some spring cleaning. And he drove them all, A-L-L, out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen. And he poured out the coins of the money changers and he overturned their tables. Friends, this took work. This took time. This took effort to drive out all of these animals and all of these people. And of course, everybody's standing there and wondering what he's doing and why he has the authority and what in the world is going on. And Jesus says to them in verse 16, take these things away. Stop making my father's house a place of business. And later he is going to say his father's house is to be a house of prayer. What this would have been like in Jesus's day would have been like if we had the arts and crafts fair in here in the sanctuary on Sunday morning or today. And you had come to worship. You had come to have Bible study, but you couldn't get in because we've got jewelry being sold and purses being sold and jelly and jam being sold and everything else being sold. The temple was not being used for what God created it to be. It was a place where Gentile non-Jews and the Jews were able to come and they were to be able to pay their temple tax, which helped with the upkeep of the temple. And they were able to pray and they were able to worship and they were able to remember how God had faithfully delivered the Jews from salvation and they could wait for their promised Messiah. But instead it was a flea market. And Jesus did some spring cleaning. His disciples remembered that it was written, <clears throat> zeal for your house will consume me. And Jesus, of course, when the Jews said, what in the world gives you the right to do this? Do you have some sign? Can we see your credentials? And he said, destroy this temple. And I think when he did that, he held his arms out. I think he said, destroy this temple. And they, may have, they thought he was pointing to the temple. He said, destroy this temple. And in three days, I will raise it. This is one of the first times that Jesus did a mask, a hidden message that they would only understand later. I want us to look at the difference of this cleansing of the temple. Contrary to the, the sign of the wine, it was very public. It was not private. 
Jesus was the one who presented the need. We need some spring cleaning. We need to get this stuff out of here. It was, oh yes, planned. Zeal for your house will consume me. Psalm 69, 9 says, it was very purposeful. It was productive and it was prophetic. And I want to say this because we see this principle. If I am a believer, and there may be some of you here in here who are not yet Christians, but you have come and you are seeking. And if that is the case, I am thrilled. Any of us would love to visit with you about how you can be assured that when you die, when there is a funeral service for you, like there is going to be in here in the next hour, you can be assured that your soul that is eternal is saved, cleansed, and secure with a reservation in heaven. If you do not have that security, please speak with me or someone afterwards. Because we also have this warning, in addition to the fact and the wonderful reality that Jesus is in us, in us, we who are now temples of the Holy Spirit, because that was what, where the temple was. The temple was where God dwelt. The temple was where people met with God. The temple is where God spoke to people. And now we are the temple where people are supposed to be able to come and sense the presence of Christ in us. And we are to be able to, Christ in us, minister to people. That is who we are. We have a new identity. It is, it is just amazing. We are in his service as temples all over the city all over the nation, all over the world. And so our warning is one that we pay attention to at the same time that we pay attention to all these encouragements that we've been given. The warning is Jesus is zealous about me. He wants me cleaned out. He wants my sin out. My sin is offensive to Jesus. It's what he died for. My sin affects others. So it was time for spring cleaning at this time of Passover. Could it be time for spring cleaning also that Jesus would want to spring clean something in you and me before we continue to progress through the rest of these chapters of John? On your listening guide, you have a little yellow sticky. And I'm going to ask you to, if you have to search your heart, I don't have to search my heart real deep. I'm pretty aware of what in my life the Lord would like to see not be a part of me. As I was going through this, as the Lord was speaking this into me, what he brought to my mind for me to write on this is my to overturn in my life, to get rid of, to spring clean in me, selfishness. I can be selfish with my time. I can think, oh Lord, but that's a commitment you're asking me to do. Oh, but Lord, I'm already doing this. And if I do that also in your service, my time 
So I wrote selfish because Jesus reminded me my time is in his hands and this time on earth is a boop, a blimp. We are to be living in his service for eternity. So I'm gonna come first and I'm going to say that Jesus would like to do some spring cleaning in me in regard to selfishness. Would you write on your yellow sticky if there is any area of spring cleaning that Jesus would like to do in you? And as we pray and as we close, as you leave, you can simply come up here and you don't need to put your name. He knows it. But just let him turn that table over, whether it's self-pity, a bad attitude, resentment, a critical spirit you may carry, a grudge you may carry after he's told us to forgive as we, as he forgives us. Write down now anything that the Lord might have in you that could be removed that would make you a more holy vessel for him, a more holy temple. Father, thank you as we come now and we recognize that there is none of us who is perfect. We all have something, Father, that we need to be refined, that we need out of our earthen vessel so that your fullness may fill to the brim and overflow on others. Thank you for this spring cleaning before we continue in your study of John. In Jesus' name, amen. This is part of our transformation process. As Jesus transformed the water into wine, Jesus transforms us as his spirit speaks to us and we give him our sin and he replaces it with his glory.